You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. This Digital Noise episode also has a video version for subscribers at the brown coat level or above. Become a subscriber and get the extended video version. another digital noise uh, three weeks in a row of digital noises that's we're doing pretty good here i think what, i might what? even be able to squeak out a fourth uh one but you know the lucky member who's here for our 300th episode what? of digital noise is yes ladies and gentlemen if you're watching the video which subscribers at brown coat level or above can do you can see it is kratos from god of war thank you for joining me again I'll also accept max Payne from max Payne three <laughs> yeah, but I don't think of them like that because Max Payne one and two are the good ones. Fair, right? fair. But I went as him yeah. for Halloween, so I have an actual photo of me dressed like him, which everyone yeah. just thinks I'm fat John McClane with a beard, and it's like, yeah, okay, that that's it. <laughs> you like, guess I'm not doing that outfit again because I it doesn't feel great when Burson after prison comes up and goes, oh, "Are you fat John McClane with a beard?" <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, getting uh, started with the uh, not for kids version of this digital noise. It's a 300. It's Going wild. Right we in. can do whatever we want. I know in, when we did 200, we ended up doing a special episode where we got some old hosts and all this stuff. I just don't. I'm sorry. I apologize. I just don't have time for that right now. You know, I want to, but, you know, I should have. If I had started setting it up like a month ago, I could have done it. But th- this here we is are. 2022. This is like a. Uh... Uh, the Lego Movie Two post-apocalyptic world, Mad Max Fury Road. Now there are no rules. We're just making it work on the Fury Road. Where we're going, there are no roads. <laughs> I don't know something. <laughs> I'm definitely. We're both a little road weary, though. That is for sure. No, it's not Kratos, despite how much I feel in my heart that he kind of is. It's Aaron Woodall, who's uh, been a faithful and favored member of Digital Noise for longer than anyone else that's been on that's on it right now. Holy shit! What? Yeah, I'm you're the old timer. You're the grandpa. Well, Everybody and, and is eventually. I am suitably tired as fuck. Uh, I quit my job this past week, which is always fun and desperate to have some time off uh so enjoying it i get to spend it here with you lovely listeners oh yeah, that's so sweet. sweet he doesn't he he'd rather be in a jacuzzi but that's okay <laughs> i'd rather just be asleep <laughs> yeah i know that's how you can tell that you're getting to you're not young anymore when you're like the best vacation you could imagine is one where you just don't move yeah, during most I, of I was, it i'm planning a date this week with my partner and we were sitting there discussing and going back and forth with ideas and at the end of it we finally settled we're like you know what do you want to just have like a nap like we could just get together and go to bed at eight o'clock like that sounds pretty nice actually yeah i just wish and then the problem is you're still young enough that you can actually go oh shit we're gonna sleep for 15 hours tonight fuck it we get there's no kids we're gonna like we got our vacation we're gonna do that me my body's like it's been six hours get up you lazy piece of shit (laughs) (laughs) that's getting old it swings back around where you're suddenly not allowed to take the extra time being retired why even retire i mean it just seems pointless you're like you're just gonna wake up after six hours anyway so you might as well get some work done i thought the retiring was so you could do what you want to do instead yeah you you can have that fuck i want to sleep in man (laughs) (laughs) like no i want to take a nap that's my goal Exactly. Anyway, we're not here to talk about our old or old bones or nappiness, uh, although I could certainly do a whole podcast just about the glory and beauty of siestas. But we're here to review home releases, and we've got a nice little stack that's, I would say, is entirely overall good Actually, this week. I, I would agree. Even the worst of them 
are just kind of empty, but they're pretty empty. So yeah, yeah, they're like you know, this isn't totally. There's one that's like this isn't totally for me, but there are aspects I think are fantastic, and it happens to be the first one we're talking about yeah. this week, which is Catwoman Hunted, which I know a lot of people were really anxiously anticipating this t- particular title. Uh, this is the DC Universe animated original movie series, and you know. These have always been sort of a mixed bag of like, you know, usually at worst eh, to, to like, oh, my God, this is fucking amazing. And this particular one uh, was sort of like I, I would say that this really <gasps> takes off right from Batman year one. You know, that it feels connected to the very recent re-release of Batman okay. year one in some ways. But it definitely has that. um Oh my goodness, Dar- Darwin Cook Catwoman style look oh, to it. Yeah, her outfit definitely feels that way. But also, it's clearly very, very influenced by uh, a a particular anime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although one could say even more so by what influenced that particular anime, the original version of it, which is Lupin the Third. It definitely feels like it just like the anime is sort of like hearkening back to the French roots of where the character is actually from. Um, the, 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 the French Lupin, if you will, but it's a Lupin story with Catwoman. And if, in case you don't get it right off the bat, there's a lot of visual similarities in some ways to the way it's shot with, and then the soundtrack is just straight up Lupin. Well, it, it, <laughs> those are the highlights. So like, it, it's funny. Like you talk about Batman year one, my original, uh, my interpretation watching this was it felt like it was in that Batman, um, not Shang-Chi, but uh, the Batman and the Dragon one that they did not too long ago. That was like a side story in the 70s. Mm-hmm. This has great music. The animation is really interesting and the character designs are all cool. But it, I could never really get into the story. It kind of felt like it was just going through the motions, which which they were fun motions, but they were still like nothing terribly engrossing in the story. Like it, it just felt like kind of the, uh, it just felt okay at best. And that's kind of been my issue with the last few of these DC animated movies. They were doing really well for a while. And then they kind of had, uh, they shit the bed a little bit with that justice league dark. And ever since then it's been hit or miss. Sometimes they've been okay. And sometimes they've been decent. I didn't even mind Justice League Dark. I know other people, too, who, like, hate it, think it's a low point. I thought it was okay. Wait, I mean... You, you liked the, the Justice League Dark, where they reset the Mu-52 unit, the, the one that ends with Flashpoint? No, I don't like the one that has the... All right, so there's the one with the, that's Justice League Dark, the actual team called Justice League Dark, that's, like, Constantine and all that. Yeah. Yeah. But they okay. did that other thing where there was, like, a two-parter thing or something, yeah. where it was, like, My the second part part was like the end of the whole primary dc animated universe that's that's the one i was talking about okay that's like the original justice league dark but that one came out it was like you're thinking of justice war it was justice league dark apocalypse oh you're right you're right justice league dark (laughs) apocalypse war yeah that was terrible they killed the new 52 universe which wasn't a bad thing because the new 52 were all kind of empty and actiony and they've since gone like these are standalone stories again and they've gone. They've stopped caring about um, canon and started releasing new stories. Their Superman was really good. Their Batman was kind of okay, but it just kind of ended. And then there's this, which just yeah, it's Lupin with Catwoman, but Lupin's it's almost, better. It's almost too simplistic. It's Catwoman right off the bat. She's dressed in this, you know, like I said, in the very classic Darwin Cook outfit. Uh, she's trying to steal a the cat's eye emerald at a superhero themed <laughs> costume party being hosted by Barbara Minerva, played by Kirby Howell Baptiste. And also one of the attendees is Black Mask, voiced by Jonathan Banks, Toby, Tobias Whale, voiced by Keith David, tons of henchmen, yada, 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 other bad guys. Anyway, so she doesn't get away with it. She escapes at gunpoint. Um, she and her cat, they speed off in her cool, like jazz hipster car with jazz hipster music playing. <laughs> and eventually it brings in, like, she gets some like Interpol agents, King Faraday and Julia Pennyworth for Jonathan Frakes and Ju- and uh, Lauren Cohen voicing them. And then Batwoman, who does not want to be there at all, voiced by Stephanie Beatrice. But we all know because the running thing with this, that version of Batwoman 
and Catwoman eventually become best friends. So, but there's like, there's a lot, this is filled with bad guys. Talia al Ghul, Solomon Grundy, um, uh, Cheetah. It's just, it's only 79 minutes, but it's the thing. The title is it, Catwoman Hunted. That is literally the entire plot of this thing. It's just them throwing supervillain after supervillain at Catwoman. And honestly, it's just a point you're like, is anything gonna actually happen other than this and it feels like a jeff Loeb book yeah is what it feels like where it's filled with supervillains and it's real pretty looking but there's no the story is just kind of eh which is disappointing because i like batwoman i like catwoman like i really enjoy the characters in here i just wish they had something that was a little more meaty narratively and it wasn't just fluff but i mean if you're curious about lupin and you're a dc fan check this out and if it's kind of up your alley go see lupin it's better but uh, it is otherwise I mean, the new one is fine. It's, it's fine that new lupin the third movie that they put out the cg for uh version last year that's great yeah it's dude. really fun uh, really i mean like any of the lupin stuff is good especially the one by miyazaki Hayao miyazaki uh the the castle of cagliostro which is generally the one that got people into Lupin because it's by far the best of any of the original animated series. But yeah, then the new movie, it's very Indiana Jones, but with sort of a French jazzy feel to it. It's really, really cool. And either way, both much better than this, which is like I said, kind of like a, well, I got to get them all, I guess. And I don't hate this. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. accurate. <laughs> Uh, there's a f- only a few extra features here uh, when the w- hunter becomes the hunted for about 19 minutes, which looks at all the rogues gallery characters in here. And then there's Catwoman, the Feline Femme Fatale for about 40 minutes, which is a documentary voiced by Tara Strong that just kind of goes through the history of Catwoman in comics and movies and TV shows and what have you. There's very little in there. I'm sure that you don't already know. She's such a prominent character. Right. But like, uh, where's my uh, where's my DC showcase? Yeah. I mean, this thing's only 79 fucking minutes. There's only two bonus features. Where's the goddamn DC showcase about a character I actually do want to see a cool, weird, experimental little short about the way they've been doing? Fucking you know? Blue Beetle or Booster Gold. Yeah. God, I want Booster so, Gold. Yeah, I know. We all want Booster Gold. They just don't listen. DC Warner Brothers doesn't care what we want. They're just like, but you like Batman. Oh. <laughs> and what sucks is kind of do. Like you like Batman, do you? We'll have all the Batman in the world. <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna move on to Batman. <laughs> Ironically, Batman: The Complete Series, the Batman, like the new movie title, except way before that. This was uh, in 2004 animated series. It was on Kids WB, and then in 2005 moved to the Cartoon Network. Uh, and it ended eventually in, uh, 2006. It won six daytime Emmy awards. It was largely well respected by people who do TV and people in the comics industry, but there was a lot of back and forth from fans about how they felt about this. And I think one of the reasons is that this was a real big departure from previous ways that Batman had, had animated series had been drawn, uh, including just odd janky character designs like the joker oh, looks like a rastafari guy off the joke. okay look so I, i'm gonna add a caveat this is the one batman animated show that like i hadn't seen when it came out still mm-hmm. haven't and i want to correct that but the joker is cool like it's so weird at first but it's also maybe one of the scarier versions of the Joker that we've gotten in animation. I, I liked the Rastafarian Joker. I mean, they're going for scary over, say, Batman the Animated Series, which was definitely not as scary a character because they were playing more the traditional, well, you know what? Sometimes the Joker is really the fool instead yeah. of the the killer or the hanged man, you know? Uh, and this one is more like, no, he's a fucking homicidal maniac, dude. Like, yeah, he laughs and shit and has like little joke pranks, but he'll like cut you in half with a machete. Yeah. <laughs> and I tend to like that. I don't have anything wrong with the way his character is done. It's a weird, it is uh, weird. animation choice. And I think my biggest problem with the series is not the storytelling, the voice acting. All of that is good. I think across the board, the character designs are janky. I think they do a lot of like, wait, that felt like it was unfinished looks with characters like they'll turn their head and you look like they had they didn't do it right yeah. uh and then as well they have this 
a choice I really don't care for with the backgrounds that is obviously just to save money, where ha- over half the time the background is just one solid color. Uh, it's like early Star Trek episodes or something where it's just like, why is Gotham City's background just red? And that's it. Just one shade of red. <laughs> I, I fucking hate that. To save money. Yeah, absolutely to save money. Um, and it it's one of the reasons I think a lot of fans are like, eh. but that being said, the storytelling in this thing is actually not too bad at all. There's nothing really, I wouldn't say there's anything super breakout that changes this desperately from anything, any other particular version of Batman that you've seen before. Um, I did not, full disclosure, I only watched the first two seasons. I did not watch all the way through uh, season five and then the uh, the movie little directed DVD movie, um, The Batman versus Dracula, which I'm not, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure is actually included in this. Uh, I don't think it is. But it isn't bad. And if you're craving, you know what, I kind of miss more of the old school Batman animated show type like feel. This is going to more than not give it to you. And the storytelling is decent. There's a lot of like the classic villains, but there's also some first appearance of some, some of the later day villains in here. Um, good voice acting throughout this thing. Like lots of the classic voice actors for, for uh, superhero stuff are in this. Um, Like, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Clancy Brown, of course, appears in this and uh, Gina Gershon, Tom Kenny, Kevin, Michael Richardson, James Marsden, um, Dan Castellanata, uh, uh, Joaquin D. Almeida, Ron Ron Perlman. I mean, yeah, lots of that. (laughs) Oh, Clancy Uh, Brown. Holy shit. All three play Bane. Bane is... Yeah, with uh, but a first timer, I believe Reno Romano is Batman slash Bruce Wayne, which I thought is fine. He's certainly no one's going to look and go, "Oh, you're the best guy who's ever done this." Uh, Jerry O'Connell does Robin slash Nightwing, and Kelly Martin does Batgirl slash Oracle. With um, uh, Mitch Pileggi is James Gordon. That's kind of cool, yeah. right? That's cool casting. Edward James Olmos is Chief Angel Rojas. Ming-Na Wen is Detective Ellen Yin. I mean, it's a it's a really decent cast of of people in here. James Remar is Black Mask. Anyway, it's a lot of people. I I don't need to oversell this thing. I mean, I think you kind of might might have been like me, really initially turned off by the character designs, or you never really pursued it, but. Ultimately, this is a pretty good Batman animated show. If you're in the mood for a Batman animated series, it's I don't there's an I can't remember what the other one was that was around the same time that oh, was like more a little more jokey. Th- there, was, there was you know what I'm talking about? There's one the that was definitely one, where they had animal <laughs> villains, right? There's one oh, that was sort of like Batman Brave and the Bold. Was it that that yeah. was more silly kind yeah. of a lot of the time? Yeah, because it was the animated series, and then Brave and the Bold came out, and then as it was winding down, then the Batman came on. Right. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to even go and finish this. I'm going to keep it, but I don't know if I'm going to go and finish it. I, I, you know, I have to watch a lot of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't feel like I was being given anything that was wildly new and exciting here. And like I said, really hate in generally speaking, the visual design. I thought it was a gigantic mistake. But it does make the, sometimes try some experimental stuff that that is kind of cool to, I feel like, make up for it. I thought Clayface is cool looking. They do kind of a neat well, new thing with him. Clayface but, is just an awesome villain. God, oh, yeah. I, would kill I, 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 I like that they've kind of made him into an anti-hero in the comics, too. And some of the animated stuff has picked up on that. That It's like, hey, here's a guy who, yeah, did like a lot of villains did when they turned monstrous. They freaked the fuck out for a while. But then eventually this guy's like, I don't want to be this person. Like, I kind of would like to. The problem is, like, I don't there's no cure and I can't go get a job. <laughs> so what do I do? And Batman's like, come work for me. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so it's a six disc, uh, uh, six disc set. That's a tongue twister. Uh, it comes with a bunch of extra features, including the Dark Dynasty Continues, a brand new retrospective for about 16 minutes that look back at the Batman's development and legacy. There's uh, season three unmasked for eight minutes. Uh, looks at a lot of the voice actors and the creative team. Joining forces, the Batman's legendary team ups. 25 minutes, the creative team talking about some of the later seasons where he teams up more with the justice league. And a lot of stuff came right out of the comic books. Uh, there's uh, the, each one of the season four unmasked is basically just the second half of season three unmasked, uh, the Batman junior detective challenge, which is a kid 
trivia game. Uh, the Batman Junior Detective exam, level two, same. Uh, building the Batman, half toy commercial, half featurette, <laughs> which is buy our toys. Uh, the Gotham PD case files, which is just a very brief look at the rogues gallery. Uh, and new look, new direction, new night with uh, some of the producers basically talking about it described as bold visual approach. I guess that's one way of saying it. <laughs> you may have mentioned this and I just completely missed it, but I didn't realize this was the start of Sam Liu directing for DC, who directs yes. like every single DC animated movie made for the last 10 years. He is their main guy. Yeah. He is the main man for the animation department, I, it seems like. I also like. just realized that he also directed the Roughnecks Chronicles, which was that Starship Troopers cartoon. It, it's oh. It's after your time. Uh, the, I guess so. The, the late stage millennials will be at the, the audience right now, but holy shit, I kind of gained a little bit more respect for him just now. Well, we're going to move away from that, but we're going to keep up with super teams, or at least teams that hate each other, with <laughs> the William Friedkin, that's the guy who directed The Exorcist, version of 12 Angry Men, one of my favorite plays of all time, non-musical plays, I should add, uh, and... The thing is, not that long before this particular version came out in 1997, there was a uh, 1957 film. I guess it was a long time before, but anyway, it was a very famous adaptation of it that was directed by Sidney Lumet that won a bunch of awards. Uh, it's like on AFI's top 10 list of stuff. A lot of people call it one of the greatest films ever made. I've seen it many times, but it's a play and it's kind of designed one of those plays that's like a really much an actor's play. Like it's designed for every interpretation of it to try and do something a little different with it, to find a new interpretation of these characters that fits the time period in which you're making it. Cause it has to, I mean, there's no point in telling it as a period piece. You have to readapt to whatever time period you're in. And this William Friedkin version is very much doing that. Uh, the idea is there was a murder. It's a murder trial of a teenage boy from a slum who's accused of murdering his father. Uh, the jury, right when it starts, it's the jury just being sent back to, it's the end of the trial. Jury's being sent back to deliberate. So really the only real characters in here are the 12 jur jurors, jurors, the rural jurors, uh, <laughs> which are played by Courtney B. Vance, Ossie Davis, George C. Scott, Armin Moeller Stahl, Dorian Harewood, James Gandolfini, Tony Danza, Jack Lemon, Hume Cronin. My, my Kelty Williamson, Edward James Olmos, and William Peterson, which even if you don't recognize every name right off the bat, you will recognize almost all these actors. Special shout out to Mary McDonald, who has like one line in the entire thing at the very beginning, but still makes this technically another Battlestar uh, <laughs> together because her and Eddie James are in it. <laughs> That's a bit of a stretch, but I'll allow it. Every time they appear together, I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Objection overruled, Chris. Okay. Uh, so it when it starts off, all these guys, if you've never seen a version of this, I'm just going to go very briefly what, the, what ends up happening. They come in and everyone's like, well, this kid is definitely guilty. There's no question. They're all like, oh, yeah. But then juror number eight, who is played by uh, Jack Lemmon, is like, yeah, I can't. Um, he, he proposes a secret ballot vote. And he's says that everyone agrees that if any one person votes not guilty, we're going to have to deliberate no matter how hot it is in here because the air conditioner has gone out. No matter how much y'all have shit you want to go do, we're going to deliberate because this is a man's life. So he's the one guy who basically is voting non guilty and everyone is fucking pissed at him. But he's like, look, I'm not saying I believe that he's guilty. That's not the same thing. The rule is. Beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to find him guilty. And I have doubts. And I feel it's important we discuss those things. And one by one, the jurors start to change their mind and come over to his side, much to the consternation of the big holdouts here who get angrier and angrier. And this is just an, just a magnificent piece of writing. I mean, this original, uh, it's, it's taken from the original teleplay, basically, with some changes to it. Uh, Reginald Rose wrote it. It's just... Yeah, it's well, just kind of a masterpiece of writing that I every time I see a new version of it, I mean, I've seen like, I think three or four versions of this, including one on stage. I've never not liked it. I think you hit the nail on the head. This is an actor's uh, production. Like every single character in this is played by a great actor who gets to bring their A game. Everyone mm -hmm. gets a chance to have their big speech moment. Everyone gets to go in, do something that's challenging and interesting. And every single actor kicks it out of the park. Like this mm -hmm. is just 
It's a great movie. It's a great even Tony Danza. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, he's pretty good in it. He at first you're like he's just playing Tony Danza. He's like, hey, I want to go to the ball game. It's the ball game. I don't want this. You know, the kid's guilty. Let's go play some baseball, okay? And then towards the end, he actually like, okay, you've actually got some interesting levels to you. Yeah. I mean, the standouts here, of course, are should surprise no one is of course Jack Lemon and George C. Scott, who are the primary characters in this thing, but. Almost everybody gets amazing moments in this. Um, I, if you've never seen any version of it, this will do as good as any, yeah. quite frankly. <laughs> you know, it's a really good adaptation of this. And I don't know, man, it's it's fascinating. It sounds like it'd be boring just these guys talking about this, but you're just glued to the screen following every second of it. And it's almost two hours and it just whizzes by. Well, and it's also, uh, it's entirely in one room. It's nice. It's compact. It's simple. Uh, yeah, it's a highly recommend. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Gandolfini, I was going to say, especially really, really like his his performance in here because he he's the first person who's not at all what you expect. You know, you're like, oh, they kind of set you up to believe he's a certain type of person. You're like, no, he's not that person at all. He's much more, has many more levels than that. I I was partial (laughs) to Edward James almost, all jokes aside. But that's just because I like him as an actor. And I thought his character was interesting. Well, Kino Lorber released this on Blu-ray, and it has both versions of this. It has the a widescreen 178-1 aspect ratio, or you can watch it on the TV, originally aired on TV 133-1. I don't know why anyone would want to watch it that way rather than widescreen but i guess it makes it feel more claustrophobic which it's kind of supposed to whatever uh the only other special feature is uh, yeah the only other special feature is a trailer but you know i mean i still really 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 beg you if you've never seen any version of this i mean either see this one see the sydney lumet one whatever chance you get it is one of the best written things Uh dialogue things ever done you don't want to recommend people go see the amy schumer 45 minute special about like whether or not she's still fuckable what 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 are you talking about (laughs) oh my god so she did uh, a a one angry woman it it, it was 12 (laughs) angry men and instead of them discussing a murder trial they were debating whether or not she was still fuckable as a person and they captured the entire format of 12 angry men and it was like a 30 45 minute special i want to say why it was the thing and i've seen it i've never seen anyone anyone and i'm on facebook all the time worry about whether or not they're still fuckable as much as she does a a female canadian and unfortunately that's a very high profile and highly judged world so it's like you're wealthy you're you know yes you're a little bigger but you're also attractive yes you know 12 angry men inside amy schumer Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I don't watch that version, probably. I mean, unless you're a big Amy Schumer fan. I don't know. I don't really have anything against Amy Schumer, except I don't connect with a lot of her jokes. I mean, I don't think they're terrible. I just like, this isn't for me. I feel slightly bad because we've turned a 12 Angry Men conversation to be entirely about something different, but I'm okay with that, kind of. All right. Well, as long as we're going to be total fucking misogynists, we might as well talk about La Dolce Vita. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Which is a... Sorry. No, I'm exaggerating obviously but you can't help it it's a 1960 italian film by fellini that's filled with half-naked women i mean it's there whether you want want it to be there or not but women and douchey rich men and super douchey rich men who generally speaking get away with whatever the fuck they want to get away with like acting like a total shithead now i have famously at least to people who listen to me which all eight of you out there thank you uh i've never been the world's biggest fellini fan i've watched quite a few of his films and everything i went i just don't see the appeal okay 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 Uh, good because i was i'm not a fellini fan always like i don't get it and a lot of it might be that I just don't find fashion that interesting. I can get really taken by a very distinctive fashion thing in a movie or a TV show or what have you, but it in and of itself is not that interesting to me. And I felt like eight and a half was like all style, zero substance. Sorry. Shot well. Sure. Yeah. But I needed more. And I think we're going to differ on this one because I thought La Dolce Vita had more. I uh, thought that this is the only thing I've ever seen by Fellini. I was like, wow, that was pretty fucking good. But it might be because I have kind of a weakness for its star, Marcello Mastro- Mastroianni, who is just 
tremendous. He plays Marcelo Rubini, a tabloid journalist who basically is just wandering through Rome, getting laid a lot. <laughs> he is the guy who got me into Italian movies uh, back when he did Divorce Italian Style. Oh, right. I, I watched great, that yeah. back in college and I've been kind of a fan of him ever since. I, I, I can't follow you on this one, though. Uh, it's like I do agree that there's substance there. Fellini clearly is saying something. He is saying something about the culture that he exhibit, that he was living in and the people who lived in that culture. But it's it's also a three-hour, kind of directionless, kind of slice-of-life story about just terrible people being douchey, racist douchebags. Oh, they're, they're, almost everybody in this film is really yeah. just a horrible person. Um uh, this is divided up into seven episodes with a prologue, an epilogue, and an interlude is how it's been described. Um, and each one is just sort of that. It's just like, it's just shit that's happening to Marcello. And some of it's, I mean, almost all of it is incredibly shot. Like the opening sequence of the helicopter yes. transporting a statue of Christ over an aqueduct outside Rome. We were like, uh, that's really amazing. And then like this, he's in a news helicopter, yeah. which it gets distracted from this by a bunch of hot chicks in bikinis sunbathing yeah. which is like well that's the movie right there <laughs> yeah, they, you got they do this big like sweep around like wait 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 wait. we, we saw women in bathing suits let's turn around and get close let's right. call from a helicopter yeah i mean he's marcello is you know he's just anybody he's supposedly with he's cheating on he's like he just is going through flying flitting through life because it's the 60s and everybody is getting drunk and doing drugs except they're not like hippies they're like the more the the, the pre-beatnik type that just like in italy they they drive vespas and they do cocaine and and they have sex with models and famous people um most famously here largely playing herself is anita ekberg who was a huge big much desired like fashion star and he is like immediately you can see he's like i am gonna fuck this chick (laughs) but there's a point in this film and i think it's towards that sequence where he starts to just starts to it turns a corner where he starts to realize is this really what i want unfortunately he never really follows up very much on that instead he just slowly spirals into just being what it's like to be kind of a sad old guy still trying to do this shit and it is kind of a, you know, it's not sad, sad. Of all the characters in here who are douchebags, he's probably actually the least douchey, even though he's, he's still pretty douchey. has any kind of question. He's the only one who questions it really at any point. Right. But even so, it's just like the whole thing is kind of like a, you know, I mean, this is fun. There's no denying this is fun, but you got to find You got to look for actual meaning in life. You know, it seems what it's saying. And interestingly, there is a sort of kind of remake of this film by Paolo Sorrentino called The Great Beauty, which is almost exactly the same plot, except the guy's not partying. Instead, he's just sort of wandering around Rome, looking at the world's most beautiful places and and philosophizing about life with other interesting people. So it's like the same movie, but if people were actually more interesting and were actually not just wasting their lives and it's really great uh i know the party version sounds more fun and maybe it is i don't know but the great beauty by sorrentino is also really terrific i mean the main thing i think is that there's no denying how incredibly gorgeous this is i mean italy in 1960 is one of those places like if you could time travel and you only had a choice of like like you get three places you can pick pick from and you get to spend a week in each. I mean, 1960 Italy is not a terrible choice. <laughs> well, and because they don't have CG back then, they have to do everything for real. So there's huge crowds of people. There's amazing, amazing shots of really busy, bustling streets with cars and buses driving everywhere. Yes. It must have just been impossible to film from a technical level. This is, a, this is an amazing achievement to filmmaking. It's just long and uh, and s- soundtrack by Nino Rota, who did The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, and you know, I mean, I think you, a lot of people have already seen this because this is often considered, even though eight and a half gets more sort of like uh, dropped, name dropped more. I think that this is generally considered to be his best film, Fellini's best film. And I agree. 
of what I've seen anyway, this is Fellini's best film, <laughs> uh, whether or not you like it. And, you know, I mean, most people I talk to when I say, yeah, I don't really like Fellini that much, like immediately get shocked and argue with me. And I find out half the time they haven't actually seen a Fellini film. They just assume <laughs> I must be wrong because they always hear him talked about in hushed tones. Whatever. It doesn't matter. It depends on what your thing is. And if your thing is this sort of the Fellini sort of thing, then, yeah, there's no question he does what he does better than probably anybody. It's it's gorgeous looking. It's just not always to my taste. La Dolce Vita, there was a little more going on. I felt a little more to stay interested in. And I kind of kind of liked it a little bit more. Yeah, that's fair. But I would have liked some more extras here because this is one of the most famous films of all time. Uh, I mean, it's listed on almost every top 100 films list of all time. This is on almost all of them, no matter who puts them out, unless it's like best horror films or something like that. Then obviously it's not going to be on here. Uh, you know, like, wait, that's not even a horror film. Shut up. It's La Dolce Vita. It's going on there. Best horror films of 2021. La Dolce fucking Vita. <laughs> what? Don't give it 1960. Shut your mouth. Uh, there's an introduction, the new video introduction by Martin, Martin Scorsese, uh, that's three minutes long. That's it. Uh, you're like, where is the extra features that discuss at length this film, why people feel the way they do? Like, you know what I mean? It's like one of the most famous yeah. movies ever made, but this is like a relatively, you know, this is a quick and chibi from directly from Paramount Pictures. This is clearly a, the, you know what this feels like? They were about to sell the rights to this to somebody like Criterion for distribution. And they're like, let's make some quick bucks before we do that. That's what this feels like. Yeah, so I would not be surprised at all to see if like in a week Criterion announces, uh, hey, uh, we're putting out this thing in three months. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So I'm just saying I wouldn't buy this because there's probably almost certainly a better version of this coming out soon on one of the uh, prestige nostalgia oh. There might even already be a better version. No, I think the original one was DVD. You're right. Um, eh, but you're right. I, I think eventually there's going to be a good version of this coming out that's going to be filled with like four or five discs and historical yeah. documentaries and a fold-out poster. And that being said, if all you... Cover. If all you want is the movie, it's a very decent transfer of it. I mean, it's it it's 4K upgraded. It looks it looks great. It's just that's pretty much all there is. So if all you want is to own a copy of the movie and get it for cheap, this is the one. <laughs> so maybe get this one now if that's what your goal is. You're like, I don't need all that bonus shit. What do you think I do? Sit around all day watching bonus stuff? Well, that's what I do. So I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we'll move on to our next one, which is a movie I have not seen since it originally came out. And I really liked it a lot. And I argued with a lot of people because I had friends who hated it or just didn't like, I don't get it. Um, and now it's even controversial because of the argument going on right now, uh, very topical about uh, actors who choose to do method acting and how, whether or not that's abusive, whether that's like the way they treat other people in pursuit of method acting. We're talking about Man on the Moon. The 1999 biographical comedy drama about uh, famous comic Andy Kaufman with Jim Carrey playing Kaufman were, in many ways, Carrey's approach to playing this character was more famous than the film itself. There's even an exceptionally good documentary on Netflix about it. Uh, just This is all news to me. I had no idea about any of this. Because yeah. when this movie came out, like I, I missed it in theaters. Uh, I ended up watching it on home video. Uh, and loved it and watched it again for this release but i had no idea there was any kind of drama back and forth about it it's funny with jim carrey because i'm pretty sure he was one of the people who came out and was like yeah method acting is bullshit if you're going to be a dick about it and he was in fact kind of a dick about it on here <laughs> no question but it's impressive to watch his dedication to it in for entertainment value i mean it's schadenfreude no question if you're one of those people you just can't get past anything where anybody even faintly asks, acts like a dick. Okay, then don't watch it. But there's documentary uh, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, is fucking great. Uh, I wish they had found a deal to include it on here as part of the package. Like I said, I'm pretty sure it's Netflix that it's on. But I was like, oh, wow, can't stop watching this. Absolutely fascinating. And I highly recommend if you're going to watch the movie, you have this queued up to watch at least the next day. Because you'll want to. There's a lot of... I wonder what was happening there. The okay. questions that'll be answered as well as tons of deleted, like whole deleted sequences that were not included that are in there that were not in the movie. Well worth watching. But this is, I believe, the first Blu-ray release of this film. 
that also featured Danny DeVito, Courtney Love, and Paul Giamatti. I say especially Paul Giamatti here, who is, I feel, almost as big in this as Carrie is. He plays Bob Zamuda, who is his best friend slash sometimes was playing him, more or less. They both would play this character, uh, this really horrible, abusive Vegas comedian musician called Tony Clifton, to sort of, like, throw audiences off. I mean, he was definitely, whatever was going on with Kaufman, he was part of, he was the only guy who was on the in. He was the only guy who actually knew what was happening at all times, other than Kaufman himself. And the thing is, even this movie, I mean, Kaufman's whole life is a, big question mark because no one really knows there's like competing stories from different people who knew him about what was really happening even whether or not he's really dead like there's people who are very close to him including family members say oh andy's definitely not dead he definitely faked his death You're like wait what and there's others like i literally saw and touched the body he is dead <laughs> you know i don't know but I think that's the whole thing is that Andy would have loved that because his whole thing, his form of comedy was just a big hoax put on. It was shock. That that was, that's kind of the way they take with this movie is that they portray him as someone who a is very clearly neurodivergent, who also has his own version of what is funny. And most of the time in this movie, the kind of jokes that are being put on are jokes really because Andy himself thinks it's funny. Or, yeah. or maybe Paul Giamatti's character thinks it's funny. And it's more of a joke on the audience than a joke that the audience will laugh at. Uh, and But it does a good job of taking that as like a character-defining attribute and taking a real look at what that would be like. Like you can see him struggle to get his, uh, his ideas across and get frustrated when people don't get it. Uh, his really, really mean kind of awkward style of comedy. But there's also a lot of heart. It's one of, uh, I just blanked on his name. I can't believe that. It's one of Jim Carrey's best performances for me. Like, I love oh, his yeah. portrayal of it. And I, I spent the whole time watching the movie kind of going, I kind of wish, like, the whoever plays the inevitable next Joker we're going to see out there takes right. its cue from Man on the Moon. And we get kind of this character more in line with that version of Andy <laughs> An Kaufman. Andy Kaufman Joker. <laughs> like, I would dig that. <laughs> Just this guy who's like, no, this is funny. Don't you fucking get it? Come on, people. Right. Who's sort of like the sad clown. Who's like, don't you get it? Come on. What's wrong with you? This is funny stuff. This is high level comedy here. I mean, but even with Coffin would play that card in his act, but it was part of the act. Right. Like this whole who is this guy? Like at first playing the character Lagka basically on stage, who eventually he was paid an outrageous amount of money to come be part of the show Taxi and just play that character, which is this Eastern European sort of naive, confused guy who would get up there. So for a long time, people thought he was actually this Eastern European confused <laughs> guy. Like, it's like, no, it's just a character. Like when Danny DeVito's character here, George Shapiro, who was ended up being his talent manager and the producer of a lot of his TV work and very good friend, like found him. He saw him doing that act, came to talk to him, and literally he stayed in character for a while until he's like, wait, 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 no, 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 that's not really me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I do I didn't know who you were. Yes, yes, I do want to sign with you. Yes, please. <laughs> uh and I like that this movie is just as uncertain about what's real and what's not as any other version you're going to see on his life. Because there's a lot of I mean there's a lot of different takes. Like a lot of this in here definitely did not happen or at least not the way it's portrayed right but this is the information they had at the time (laughs) and that information keeps changing (laughs) over time based on who you talk to i mean most of the people here were still alive when this movie made was made uh lynn margula margula's courtney love played who was eventually kaufman's girlfriend uh, help work on the production. She worked directly with Courtney Love and like has said contradictory things since the movie came out. And you're like, okay, I don't... What actually happened here? Uh, it, latest reports are saying Coffin wasn't anywhere near as big of a, you know, kind of difficult to be with Dick as the movie portrays him as being, saying that, like, no, anybody who was there on a production was in on the joke. He never, ever let anybody not know who was working on something. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. But... Other people say, no, that's not true at all. He totally would surprise everyone. Who knows? But that's what makes him still interesting. I'm sure he would have been a very frustrating person to know in real life or have to deal with. Or at least professionally. (laughs) Yeah. But this is a really fascinating 
movie fascinatingly structured just the fact that starts with like jim carrey in black and white just basically doing hi i'm andy kaufman i'm dead now <laughs> you know and doing the mighty mouse bit i'm like the, the oh, movie is, is over here are the credits bye yeah, yeah exactly like it's really really fascinatingly is uh, put together and yeah you may have your own feelings about carrie you may have your own feelings about kaufman but i think you really have to just take this as a work of art in and of itself and go this was remarkable i kind of view it as this little bit of hollywood magical realism because it, like yes technically it's all real world but like it I just don't even care if it really happened. I don't want to know the real events. I prefer this really weird out there version of it. And I like that. And I like the idea of him still being alive far more than him just dying too. Yeah. Just like, yeah I mean, that's no, no. There's this mythic comedian out there who just like, you know what? I did my thing. I'm going to go live with Jim Morrison. Life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Jim hang, Morrison. We're on an island with Elvis too. The thing is like, the only reason why I'm like, I just, I just can't believe it that that's true is because I think that the whole reason Kaufman got into comedy in the first place is because there's a part of his personality that fed off the attention so much that I don't think he could have stayed away from it long that this long. I don't think he could have. I, I just don't think it's it would have been in him to say, OK, I, I promise I will not pop up. I will not let him. I will not do anything Kaufman ask anywhere. I will just fucking bow my head down and hide for 45 years. No, I, I, I don't believe it. Right. <laughs> you didn't realize it, but Kaufman's actually like come out and been famous three other times since he died. He just plays different people. But he actually is Jim Carrey. Very much like, (laughs) very much like the Joker thing. There are three different Jokers. No, 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 no. There are four different people, all Andy Kaufman. (laughs) It wouldn't be that surprising, actually, you know. But anyway, ultimately, unless Zamuda in particular, uh, who is still alive, has one last big joke planned, which is possible. Uh, like, okay, Andy set this thing to be filmed and released on this date, you know, which like, yes, he's dead, but, oh, here's the thing. There were eight, <laughs> eight Andy Kaufman's <laughs> or he buried all his treasures somewhere. And here's the hunt to find it. I don't know. Something like that could happen. Cause the Mooder, like I said, was as wacky a guy as Kaufman. He just didn't quite have the, uh, on air talent that Kaufman did. So yeah, whatever. The Blu-ray here, though, comes the audio commentary by the screenwriters Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. Uh, his Polish name, I'm sorry, Karaszewski, uh, moderated by film historian Howard S. Berger. Uh, this was done through Zoom during the pandemic, so you know background noises, what have you. Uh, there's 21 minute. This might be a story audio supplement that call- is a conversation between the directors and uh, Milos. Foreman, or sorry, the screenwriters and director Milos Foreman. Uh, spotlight and location, The Making of Man on the Moon, 19-minute archival featurette with interviews and scenes. There's 12 and a half minutes of deleted scenes that are well worth seeing, although a lot of stuff that was deleted is on that documentary I mentioned before that's not on here. So that there's I other stuff. This week. Thank you for that. And then there's the REM video, music videos for Man on the Moon and the Great Beyond that Jim Carrey appears in. You know, all of which is like, it's not an exceptional package of extras, but it's not a half bad package oh, of extras nice. either. Yeah. Um, and this is a movie that I think a lot of people just kind of forgot existed, or even if they do, they're like, yeah, I don't know. I might get around to it someday. You should get around to it. Absolutely. It's really, really fascinating. Rent it, buy it, watch Jim Carrey's best performance. It's worth it. All right. So our last film today is one I literally don't have to tell you to like see because A, you've already seen it. Uh, or B, if you haven't, you're just waiting for it to be on one of your streaming networks, which was a huge mistake. You should have seen it in theaters. We're talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, which I'm going to say top five MCU films. I think statistically everybody's seen it at this point. I I mean, you have to by law, right? Yeah. They come to your door and say, sit down. We're going to show you Spider-Man No Way Home. Well, my wife hasn't seen it, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet statistically either one of the people in your life has not seen it. Oh, fair, fair. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. But yeah, of course, we have the, the big third movie in the, the Tom Holland Spider-Man franchise. It also kind of serves as a capper for both the other two previous Spider-Man franchises, which I think that's relatively common knowledge at this point. Oh, uh, sure. Um, and it it's a unique Spider-Man movie because it's a Spider-Man movie that's fundamentally almost without a villain, even though it is chock full of them. Yeah. Um, 
Because like, it, I mean, the Green Goblin ultimately is kind of the villain. But, like, if you have to pick a single one, but it's not really like many Dis- like many Disney things for sure, but also some Marvel things. It's not really about there being that clear no. drawn lines, it, but it is about character development of all the characters involved. And so, so the spiel is that this takes place right after the second Spider-Man movie where he's been outed and accused of murder and his life is in tatters and the lives of his friends are in tatters. And he turns to none other than Doctor Strange in a sleeveless wizard sweater cape, which is just fun, um, <laughs> who for some reason decides to alter reality for a high school student and doesn't figure and talk shit through in advance and so accidentally breaks reality and anybody who knows that spider-man is peter parker starts showing up which means all the villains from the previous movie start showing up yeah it cracks the multiverse open so people from parallel universes are able to slide through and And strange is like this is just going to get worse before it gets better unless we send people back so the the what's cool and what makes this movie different than most of the other superhero fare out there is that it's really about Peter Parker going, look, I know you want me to send these people back ostensibly to their deaths, but what if instead we rehabilitate them yeah. and is about him just putting everything at risk because he knows that deep down it's right to try to help these people who are all victims of their circumstance to one extent or another than just beat them and stop them yeah and- no it's uh, it's the first movie in the trilogy i feel like that is not the first one to deal with that aspect of peter parker where you're like this is a terrible idea peter but like that in the comics is always a big thing like he gets in trouble because he's always like the guy he's the moralist he, he's it's, like not based on religion he's like no but he's the boy scout it's the terrible like, decision but it's the right thing to do like captain america at least is a soldier people call him a boy scout i'm like no he'll make a soldier decision right the logical reasonable decision to make from a soldier's point of view not peter parker <laughs> he'll no. do the thing like no if someone has any chance of being saved we have to give them that chance no matter how incredibly stupid and short-sighted it might be or could end the universe. Like, he makes it's a dumb decision. Doctor Strange is right. He should have just said, nope, go back. But that doesn't matter because he's a high school student who is a good, good kid. He's just a little naive, you know? He's just a little, like, short-sighted sometimes. And he makes decisions off the cuff, like high school students do. I've heard people criticizing him, the movie for that. Yeah. I'm like, that's the dumbest argument I could imagine. That like is the best that you <laughs> like he is again. Whether or not he's right is irrelevant. He is ethically correct. Well, it, what it, it turns in is it turns in a movie where all of the conflict is interpersonal, based on people who adamantly feel that they are right and they are doing the right thing, and mm-hmm. that is interesting. Like, yeah. this is a narratively interesting movie. Like, yes, uh, because I know this has been going around. It has some weak CG in places. It is probably too big a movie. And just like a lot of Marvel fare, it sacrifices some cinematic flair at the expense of telling the story that it does, which is kind of just that's part of the Marvel formula. You know, we don't they don't look as good as other movies typically, but they also do things that no other movies are doing right now. They're tearing- Wait, where do you get that Marvel films don't look as good as other films? I wildly disagree oh with God. that. Sorry, I, I have this longstanding problem with the cinematography of Marvel, and it was originally not as big a deal. But phase four increasingly, I'm just getting more and more frustrated that Marvel movies don't really have that interesting of a color palette. Uh, and then there's been a lot of stuff on the internet about the quality of the CG, because there's just, if you pick out individual scenes in Marvel films, there's just elements where the CG doesn't work as well because they're turning in this giant fucking epic movie and this five second shot may not work as well. And it doesn't look as good when compared to something else. That's I'm just going to say, I find that an astonishing nitpick, considering that <laughs> over overwhelmingly Marvel films have the oh, best no, no. CG of almost anything happening in film We're today. We're not going to be getting to my real nitpick, which that's coming in a moment. But like, I, feel, I still think that the filmmakers do a good job. They create a lot of really great, dramatic moments. Uh, the conflict, the the time where you actually see Peter Parker's spider sense going off is one of my favorite little bits of filming in the entire Marvel franchise. It's great. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the, the actual only real issue I have with this movie, and I'm going to talk around it a little bit because it does come towards the end, is they have Spider-Man make, they have Spider-Man make a decision that is so very based in our superheroes can't have people in their lives kind of thing. And I'm so tired of that. And in my superhero world that whenever superheroes kind of go down that route, it just feels like a missed opportunity. And I find myself being that old man ready for superheroes to grow up. But Spider-Man is still a kid. So it gets it <laughs> He's like 16 like, years old. 18 he's going to college get it right well he's probably 17 okay he's not in college but like those nitpicks aside this is still like you said top five marvel films it's a marvel film without a villain that's never boring that tells interesting moral questions in its story like this is a great film it is absolutely worth watching and let me say, I also totally disagree with you about that ending, too, because I think if it had uh, gone the other way, if it had gone the way that you're like, oh, it was setting up to go, you would have gone, something feels off. Because it would be off, because they discuss the idea throughout the rest of the film of the effect he has on being in the lives of other people. It's not like it's out of nowhere. Yeah. It's been discussed. And when you look at the de- ethical and moral decisions that Parker makes during this film, it's the only choice he could have made. You know, it, nothing else would have made sense. I, it makes perfect sense for me. It's a little disappointing because you're like, I love these characters together so much, but I think it's the only right decision. Yeah, maybe I'll feel better on a second rewatch. Uh, like at the time, and I, I won't deny that so much of my issues with that lie not in the individual movie, but with the habitual. Every time the character starts to change in the comics, they kind of revert it back in the past. Like that's Mm -hmm. happened so many times that that's how I interpret it. Not necessarily as this is a natural character moment. And it's more of, well, why can't they just let him grow up a little bit? Well, no, I get it. I get it. I mean, like you used to listen to me bitch about this happening in the comics on the League of Extremely Ordinary Gentlemen, right? Yeah. Like it was like. Uh, yeah, because it was done extremely poorly. It was done cheaply. Plus, he was like 35, <laughs> you know, <laughs> at that point. You're like, the guy is like married and it, like talking about having children. This is a cheap fucking way of doing it. Right. And it didn't make any sense. It was clearly a somebody up top just doesn't like the idea of Peter Parker being married. So uh, we're going to do this just cheap thing. And even the writer who had to write it was like, I fucking hate this. I hate that they're making me do this. It makes no sense here. Everything in it makes sense. I'm like, okay, there's nothing about this that doesn't work. I have no problem with the idea of doing it. It's you better have a goddamn good reason to do it or a good execution of it. It's like bringing Bucky back in Captain America. Everyone went, don't you dare fucking bring Bucky back. I swear to fucking God. And then Ed Brubaker showed up and brought Bucky back. And we're like, oh, wow, that was kind of amazing. By the way, (laughs) call out to all the original villain actors who do an amazing job coming in and turning turning in performances that are as nuanced, if not more nuanced in their original appearance. Like oh, Jamie yeah. Fox is, I had issues with him in his original Spider-Man movie. I love him in this Spider-Man movie. He's fascinating. Everybody's, everybody's fascinating in this. Um, John Watts has really figured out over three movies, how to be this type of director. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like in the first movie, he was a weird choice and he didn't quite nail it. And he didn't quite nail it with the second one either. But this one, it's like, oh, now he's kind of figured it out well, of how to do this. One of the things I really like to, and this has to do with the Green Goblin, because if you watch the original Green Goblin, um, like Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, it's a mm-hmm. relatively, it's a superhero movie. And then Green Goblin and Spider-Man fight. And it's like an R-rated backyard brawl where they're just fucking each other up left and right and i like that they keep that same energy whereas like yes this is the most kid-friendly spider-man and then willem dafoe shows up and it's almost r-rated with the way they're wailing on each other dude like there's a shot and they talk about it in the very extensive 80 minutes of bonus features here they bring it up multiple times uh in fact they showed the scene right as they shot it and when they cut and what uh tom holland says where he's just like on top of him and he's just but Spider-Man is just punching him repeatedly and Wilderfoot just starts maniacally laughing as he's punching him. And it's fucking terrifying. And like, at that, like they cut to it and, and right off the bat, Holland's like, Jesus, man, that fucking scared the hell out of me. <laughs> what did you do? Apparently he just kind of did that improv. Like, like, it's like, Oh my God, that's so freaking cool. Uh, and I just want to emphasize, 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna straight up say this is our pick of the week, which I rarely do for the major releases, but because they load this thing up with bonus features. Like I said, it's over 80 minutes, including some really great, oh man, this is the type of shit you always hope they're going to throw on something like this. There's a, a whole thing with all of the, the, the actors who play Spider-Man together talking just about meeting each other and what it was like filming this and getting to know each other, which is like, yeah, like just having a three-way conversation. Cool. And there's the thing with the three main villains just having a conversation about what it was like to come back and do this together. And that's so freaking cool oh dude uh, yeah phenomenal i would have said this is pick of the week just based on this movie alone let alone sure. the special features i mean there's a four minute bloopers and gag reel which is you know like all of them are lots of like shots of just people going like this and dancing to music they've adr'd into it or whatever you know whatever it's fine um but the bonus features actually really do get into super interesting stuff of how they pulled off a lot of the shit in this. Like, cause it was complicated. Like it's, I'd say next to, uh, next to probably the civil war, uh, airport fight. One of the most complicated superhero action scenes that has been filmed. Great. Like, cause even when you take put it versus the Avengers films, those are almost 99% CG, both this and, uh, um, the, the civil war fight scene, they really incorporated a lot more practical stuff into it. The actors actually being there more and you can tell it, it, it makes a huge difference. And you've got sequences where they were like, we had eight people on wires at the same fucking time dancing, like bouncing around each other and having to be perfectly choreographed. People were going, the stunt coordinator were going, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life by like a wild margin. <laughs> like not just actors on the ground, but like, Three Spider-Men and and multiple flying villains. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Anyway, yeah, well, well worth your time. So interesting. Uh, there's a even four, four, four minutes and 41 seconds of like a look at all the Easter eggs, which there are ones I didn't catch. Plenty of stuff. I'm like, ooh, I totally missed that because this is just lousy with, with those. Um, I just hope this is not going to be the last of the straight Tom Holland ones because apparently that deal is uncertain i i've heard that that they explicitly are planning future movies future movies with tom holland i mean i assume another trilogy is happening because the original story was there was but the extra features here feel very like this is the final one I, I i'm just, like i just know that i need more of uh toby mcguire telling andrew garfield that he needs to stop with the self-doubt that he's amazing dude i just want i want to see them which both actors have said i do it in a second if they ask me like give them their own movie make another like a spinoff where it's just the two of them get crunched together into something and they have to deal with big two spider-man versus whatever i would that. watch that I'd watch yeah that. <laughs> Yeah, even if it's just a Disney Plus show, I'm like, fucking do it, dude. I think Toby Maguire, especially, was like, ain't nobody calling me to do shit. So I was grateful. <laughs> Ever since the gambling fiasco, people are like, yeah, Toby, you can be trouble. You know about that, right? I didn't, actually. Oh, yeah, that movie. Uh, oh, what is that movie? There was a movie a couple years back that actually was all about it. But there was like the big gambling thing that he was implicated in as well where he was like a just a super super addicted gambler who just oh. like gambled almost everything away and was apparently an enormous douchebag oh. just like like just a rude like dick but to all reports he's kind of like been going through therapy and trying to fix himself as a person and when you watch the bonus features here you definitely get the feeling which i know they're bonus features but you get the feeling here's a guy who is kind of looks a little humbled and is just grateful to be there and is doing his best to be nice to everybody around him. Okay. Well, yeah. Good. I like, I, I like it when people get their lives together. So good on him. Yeah. Well, that's it, man. That's the podcast. Well, How do you well. feel about it? <laughs> the 300th podcast. Uh, you know, strangely enough, my favorite moment is still remembering, uh, Andrew Garfield being topped up by his other duplicates. Um, uh, but no, <laughs> it, it's, Honestly, it's nice. I really enjoyed working on this website. Uh, I still remember emailing you out of nowhere and asking to like moderate the forum so that I could work my way into the community. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I thought about that shit for months. It was hard. What you mean, like spill? Yeah. Oh Jesus. No, yeah. What was your What was your spill no, name? I, I kept trying to get, like because I found out when you were at Spill that you were in Austin, and I was like, oh okay. 
Uh, and then I occasionally tried to make it out, but it never worked out. Like all the little um, the mixers that happened. And then when you started one of us, you were asking for a forum person. And that's when I was like, oh. I can do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was confused. Uh, no, I was going to say my favorite part is just uh, Andrew Garfield getting hit in the face with Tobey Maguire's organic webs and going, gross! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I take it back. My favorite part of the movie may not be Andrew Garfield being just sweet-talked. It might be the two... Uh, it might be Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland sitting there going, what the hell? You can do that? That's amazing. Yeah. I can't do that. I wish I could make my own webs. Or tearing up genuinely when Andrew Garfield catches MJ and yeah. you see him start to break de- break up because in the movie, his movie, he didn't yeah. save his girl. And she do- MJ doesn't know it. But for him, this is a transformative moment. And you're like, oh, man, I've watched this movie three times now. And every time I'm just like, I fucking like shoot organic spiderweb tears out of my face. They do such a good job because his movies were darker and more just darker uh yeah. they managed to go like okay well how will that fuck up a person and then so many small beats carry so much weight with him because we know how bad a place he's in yeah agreed well anyway that's it i'm gonna let you get back about your life right. i'm sorry i know it's the 300th episode we're not going on for 300 minutes because of it <laughs> all right well it was a pleasure <laughs> it was always it's always a pleasure aaron and now don't get up from your seat because the explosives will go off Unless you follow this very carefully written set of instructions I'm going to send to you now. No, you're fine. You can get up. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Too many superhero things today. It was a lethal weapon gag. You know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs>